Last week, if you remember, we talked about the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, we believe, according to the Word of God, is still valid today. Would you agree with me? We agreed last week that God has delivered us from bondage. And because God has delivered us from bondage, He wants to keep us out of bondage, right? That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. If we could sum up last week's message in one sentence, and I said it last week, this would be that sentence. The love of God and the law of God are not antagonistic, but they are synonymous, right? The law of God and the love of God are the same. It's very interesting to me, but people have a very hard time with the idea that we need to come in alignment with the law of God. They call that legalism. But yet, no one would struggle with saying that we need to become in alignment with God, right? But in reality, those two things are the same thing, aren't they? So the law of God will still be in effect as long as God is still saving people out of bondage. Would you agree? And I believe that today God is still in the business of saving people from slavery. Amen? And also, the law of God will still be in effect as long as God is keeping people out of bondage. Do you think that heaven is going to be bondage? What do you think? Do you think in heaven will be kept out of bondage? Absolutely. So throughout eternity, the law of God will still be in effect. But today I want to be taking a look at the first and the second commandment of this. And we're going to be looking to see what this has to say for us today in 2018. If you would, we're going to reread our scripture verse. And we're going to break it down just a little bit. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And it says, and God spake all these words saying. So in verse two here, this is where the engraving of the Ten Commandments begins. It doesn't start with thou shalt not have no other gods before me, but it starts with this right here. I am the Lord, your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Amen. And last week we talked about before God gave us these 10 ways to keep us out of bondage, he let us know that he was the one that took them out of bondage. Amen. God loves you. And because God loves you, he gives us these rules to keep us loving him. Continuing on in verse three, thou shalt have no other gods. How many? No other gods before me. This is the one I want to focus on today. You know, as we get a deeper look into the commandments, and we get a deeper look into what God has told us to do and what God has told us to refrain from, a lot of people would say that our God wants us to work our way to heaven. Would you agree with that statement? Does God want us to perform good works? He does, doesn't he? But is there any way that we can make ourselves get to heaven without him? There's not, is there? We can do everything that we can. We can try and keep everything to the letter of the law. But brothers and sisters, without Christ, it is impossible for us to work ourselves to heaven by all of these good deeds that we are supposed to perform. Jesus is the only way that we can truly keep the law of God. But in reality, many people may think that Christianity is a works-based religion. But I would actually believe the opposite. I believe that true Christianity is a perfect balance of God and work. And Romans talks about this. But also, I would also dare to say that any false religion in this world today is a works-based religion. If you think about Buddhism, if you think about Islam, if you think about the New Age, all of these different major world religions that we have today, all of them are based on one similar thread. They're all based on works. 
In order for you to be able to live a perfect life and live an afterlife, you have to only keep this law. And if you keep this law, then you will be saved. But brothers and sisters, I believe that I should be following God. And when I follow God, he will make me saved. Amen. Even if I kept the law of God to its entirety from today on, and I didn't make a mistake for the rest of my life, brothers and sisters, without Christ, I would still be lost. And this is what we want to touch on today. For just an example of other religions being a work-based religion, I want you, I want to read this to you right here. This is from the Roman Catholic Catechism, Article 2010. This is what it says. Since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. Moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, now this is the part I want you to notice, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification. Would you agree with that statement? Is there any way that we can merit our own salvation? And as well as that, is there any way we can merit somebody else's salvation? That's more impossible still, right? Continuing on here. For the increase of grace and charity and for the attainment of eternal life. Even temporal goods like health, friendship, things like money, things of that nature can be merited in accordance with God's wisdom. These graces and goods are the object of Christian prayer. Brothers and sisters, I believe that the Bible teaches the very opposite of that. One more quote that I want you to see here from the Catechism as well. This is Article 1459. It says, Absolution takes away sin. I disagree with that statement as well. What this is teaching is that if I just stay away from sin... If I just reject sin all the time, then eventually I'm going to become sinless. But brothers and sisters, just from keeping away from sin doesn't make you holy. Amen. Like just like we said, if I kept away from all sin today, I still have to struggle with my carnal nature, don't I? And the only way that can be cleansed is through Jesus Christ. Absolution takes away sin, but it does not remedy all the disorders sin has caused. Raised up from sin, the sinner must still recover his full spiritual health by... Following Christ? That's not what it says. By doing something more to make amends for the sin. He must make satisfaction or expiate his sins. The satisfaction is also called penance. I don't believe we serve a God that wants us to pay penance. Amen. I believe in a God that wants to save us from our sins and help us every step of the way. Amen. And as we look at the first and second commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I believe that this is a plea for God to have a relationship with you. And we're going to see that here right now. If you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 17. Here we find a rich young ruler. Mark chapter 11, verse 17. This is what the Bible says. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Now verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I believe that all of us at one time or another have done the same thing. Would you agree? I believe that what this Richard Mueller is saying is he's basically coming up to Jesus and he's saying, Father... What can I do to be saved? 
how do I attain salvation? Would you agree with that statement? This rich young ruler is pleading for salvation. Jesus continues and says in verse 18, Mark eleven eighteen, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Mark 10, excuse me, not Mark 11. Mark 10, 17 and 18. Mark 10, 18. And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is who? That's God. Thou knowest the commandments, what we're talking about today. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. So Jesus looks at this bright young Jewish man and he says, you know the commandments, right? Do not kill, do not commit adultery, don't lie, things of that nature. And notice what this man says, verse 20. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. But notice, there's a few commandments that Jesus didn't mention here. And one of the commandments that Christ didn't mention was the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Jesus goes on in verse 21 by saying, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said to him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, Take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. There was one thing in this young man's life that was keeping him from salvation. And it was the one thing that he was putting before God and his salvation, and that was his riches. In Exodus chapter 20, it says that we should have no other gods, we should have no other idols before us. And I believe in today's time that that is talking about other gods of other different religions. But brothers and sisters, this is a lot different than just that. This is talking about anything that we put in place or in front of God in our lives. Amen. God here is pleading with us, according to that first commandment, that he wants to love us without an idol in our life. Amen. Notice here what it says in Ezekiel, if you turn there with me. Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Ezekiel 14 and verse 1. This is what it says. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their what? Idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, should I be inquired of at all by them? Verse 4. This is the one I want us to really look at. Therefore, speak unto them and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and puts the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. According to Ezekiel, chapter 14, verse 4, if we have an idol that is cherished in our heart, if we have something that we are putting in the place or above God, then when we pray to Him, brothers and sisters, He will answer us according to those idols. That's a rebuke, isn't it? What is it talking about? It's really hard for God to answer your prayer for a good marriage when you have a pornography problem. 
It's really hard for God to answer your prayer to bless your finances when you have a gambling problem. It's really hard for God to answer our prayers of living a good Christian life when we're not willing to let go of things of this world. Amen. God is willing to help us get rid of those cherished idols in our hearts. But if we're not willing to let them go, then can he answer our prayers? He can't. God is always willing to help a sinner let go of a cherished idol. Amen. Praise the Lord. But God cannot bless us the way he wants us to be blessed if we're holding on to something of this world. But brothers and sisters, could it be that our adversary, the devil, is willing to give us blessings as well? I believe that he is. The devil knows us better than he than we know ourselves. And if the devil knows that you're struggling with finances or that you love to have money, then he may bless you with money. Because with that love of money, you may be lost. God will only bless us according to what he knows we can handle. Amen? Now, here's something I would like to bring to our attention today. It says there in Ezekiel that we should have no cherished sins and that we should have nothing in the place of God. But could it be that we as Christians, could it be that we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians have sometimes put the law in place of God? Could it be that sometimes in our hearts where the place that Jesus should be we have put the law of God. I believe that in some cases we have. You know, I've had this deceit in my life before. I have thought to myself, if I, I've, I desperately need the Holy Spirit. And if I just would get rid of this and this and this, then the Holy Spirit can fill me. But I have that thinking all backwards. If I want the Holy Spirit, then brothers and sisters, I need to ask Jesus to come and take over my life. Amen. Amen. And when Christ comes and takes over my life, then I will be in accordance with the commandments. Amen. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter. I've got a lot of verses in here. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16. Hebrews 10 and verse 16 says this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their what? Into their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. I don't think it's any coincidence that God wants us to write the law of God in our hearts. He wants to write the law of God in our hearts but he also wants to live in our hearts as well. Amen. I believe that if you invite Jesus into your heart completely, then you will have the law of God written in your heart. Amen. But if we only have the law of God in our heart and we know what we shouldn't do, but we don't want Christ's help for it, then brothers and sisters, we're going to be lost. This is what Paul calls the curse of the law. Now, how can the God is inherently, the law is inherently good, isn't it? How can this good thing have a curse? Well, I'm telling you this right now, and I've experienced it in my own life, and the Bible teaches this, that if we only are according to the law, but we don't have a relationship with Jesus, then we're going to be lost. And it's going to be a kind of loss that is worse than any other in this world. Because if we look at the law, we know that we're condemned, don't we? 
We know our fate according to the law of God. But if we don't have Jesus, we know that there's nothing that we can do about it. It's like trying to use soap without water, isn't it? It just doesn't work. God wants us to have Jesus number one in our lives, amen, above everything else. And if we have Jesus first in our lives, then I believe that we'll be keeping that first and that second commandment. Whenever the Israelites in the Old Testament fell into apostasy, whenever they fell to idolatry, there was always a pattern of things that would take place. You know, I think in, in, United, in the United States today, and it's changing very quickly, I believe, but I believe in the Christian church today, I don't struggle with going to worship Buddha. I don't struggle with going to worship another graven image personally. But I believe there are things in this world that the devil has put into our hearts that can be idols, that can be almost worse than that. Go with me if you would. We're going to look at a couple examples of this. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1. Genesis 35 and verse 1. Genesis 35 verse 1 says this, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto you when you fled from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange what? The strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garment. Could God bless the house of Jacob if there were strange gods in his camp? And I believe the same is for us today. God cannot fully bless us to the fulfillment of what he wants to do if there are idols or strange gods in our hearts. And I believe that God cannot bless us if we have a strange God in our houses or our camps, as the Bible says. Could it be that we have strange gods in our households flashing through our TV screens? Could it be that we have strange gods in our household flowing through our radio stations? Strange gods can creep in every way these days. And brothers and sisters, we need to have God first in our house. We need to have God first in our camps, in our hearts. Verse 3. Genesis 35, verse 3. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. This is very interesting. Whenever the Israelites fell into apostasy, there were two things that changed. The strange gods came back and their appearance also started to change, didn't it? The earrings that were in their ears were a sign of slavery back in the days of the Israel. And as they put in those earrings, it was... What's the word I'm looking for? It was ironic. They were, they were not becoming friends of God, but they are becoming slaves of this world. It happens again here, if you turn with me. To Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Here we find Israel again. Remember, this is after Mount Sinai. Remember after Mount Sinai, when the Ten Commandments were spoken, the Israelites said something very interesting. They said, all that you say, we will do. 
I believe that's what we often say as well. And right after they had said, all that you say we will do, look what happens. Exodus 33, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up hence thou and the people which you have brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swore unto Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before you. And I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, lots of ites. You know, just a little sidetrack here. I believe that God will send an angel of God before us in our lives as well. Verse 3. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you in the way. When the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. Every single time the Israelites fell into apostasy, there were two things that happened. The idols came back and their outward appearance changed. I believe this is something that is happening in today's time as well. When we as Christians, and you don't even have to be a Christian, but you can be a secular person as well. When we want to give up something in our lives, one of those cherished idols and addictions, something of that nature... When we are ready to give that up, we take those things and we put them in the cupboard. And then when the next temptation to have that thing comes around, it's easily accessible to get it right back. When you look there in Genesis, it says that the people went and they buried their idols. They shouldn't have buried them. They should have destroyed them. Amen. When God convicts us to put something out of our lives, we shouldn't just put them away for later, but we should utterly get rid of them. Amen? And not of our own self, because brothers and sisters, if we're trying to get rid of something on our own might, we're going to fail time and time again. Amen? But when God convicts us of something, we need to destroy it and get rid of it so that we will not struggle with it anymore. I've been open and honest with you before, but one thing in my life that has plagued me ever since I was about 16 years old has been my choices of music that I used to listen to. And it's been some time since I've listened to that music, actually quite some time. But as I would turn on my phone and I would look for some Christian music to listen to, brothers and sisters, I had not deleted my old playlists. I had not deleted my own old albums. And I think the biggest excuse that I had for myself for that was because there was so much ungodly music there, it would take me hours to sift through it all and get rid of it. But if it was still there on my device, if it was still there on my computer, then brothers and sisters, what's to say I would not go back to that someday? By the grace of God, this past week I went into that music library and I finally went through the painstaking process of getting rid of all that. Amen? God will help us when we are trying to get rid of these cherished idols in our hearts. Amen? When God says that we should have no other gods before Him, what He is really pleading us for is this. God wants to have a relationship with us. Amen? And God cannot have the type of relationship He wants to have with you and He wants to have with me if we have something taking the place of Him. If we have something else living in our hearts, if we have something else that is so cherished and living in the guest bedroom of our hearts, then where is Jesus going to go? Jesus is knocking at that door, isn't he? And if there is something else already filling up that part of our hearts where Jesus is supposed to be, which I believe is the entire being of us, amen, then brothers and sisters, he cannot have the relationship with us 
that he wants to have. When it talks about these other gods and these graven images, I believe it is talking about the thing that we normally talk about. We shouldn't be worshiping Mary. We should not be worshiping Buddha or things of that nature. But brothers and sisters, I think it goes a whole lot deeper than that. The only thing that God wants graven into your minds, the only thing that God wants graven into your hearts, it's not things that Hollywood wants to grave into your hearts. It's not the things that Hollywood wants to put into your mind that you cannot forget, but it is the Word of God. Amen? It is His law and it's His love, which are the exact same thing. The only graven thing that God wants for you to have is His law in your hearts and our minds. And He's willing to do that for you. Amen? And if you invite Him into your heart, then brothers and sisters, that work is about to begin. Exodus chapter 20 tells us that we should have nothing in the place of our Heavenly Father and His Son in our hearts. I want to show you a picture here. This was kind of the official Adventist picture right after we were organized in 1863. A man by the name of M.G. Kellogg, the one who was related to the Kellogg that we know of with Kellogg cereal, right? He was an Adventist guy. And M.G. Kellogg designed and copyrighted a 19 by 24 picture depicting the plan of salvation. It's quite a picture, isn't it? It has pretty much everything there. We've got baptism. That's not the picture I want to show you. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's got baptism. It's got Jesus. It's got the sanctuary message. This is the law of God right here. We have Jesus coming over there. We have Adam and Eve being thrown out of the Garden of Eden. We have Cain and Abel. All these different things. But what do we have in the center of it? We have the law of God, don't we? And over to the right here, we have Jesus. Predominantly, in this picture, we find the Ten Commandments. And this was really, really important to Adventists back in the day, in the 1870s, because when ministers, when lay people, when evangelists, when they would go preach the gospel in evangelistic series and revelation series and presenting precious truths to others, they would take this picture with them because they didn't have PowerPoints or things like that, right? And they would take this picture and they'd fold it up. About 20,000 of these were made and distributed. And they would fold it up and in different churches and different courthouses, barns, households, and probably a jail cell and a hospital bed time or two, they would put these up on the wall. And as they would preach to people, this would be what people would see. For us that are visual learners, it's kind of nice to look at a picture now and then and remind ourselves what's going on, doesn't it? And as we look at this picture, we find something very interesting. When the Seventh-day Adventist people first were getting organized, they were coming out of many different denominations. There were many Lutherans, we're married Methodists and Baptists, a lot of people coming together. And when they came to the Adventist movement, Adventism was preaching the one thing that many had forgotten. They were preaching the Sabbath message, amen, which they were called to preach. And as they were preaching the Sabbath message, they would preach the law of God. They would preach the state of the state of the dead. And, and the, and the results of mankind with the sin on this earth today. Now, as they would preach these things, there was one thing that they very often left out. And what do you think that was? It was the message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. They never said that that wasn't true. 
They always promoted that Jesus was the only way that we could bring salvation. But in their preaching, they focused more on the law of God than Jesus. God forbid that be us. Amen. I truly believe, and I've said it multiple times today and last week, but I believe that if we preach Jesus, that the law of God will take care of itself if we preach Jesus correctly. I'm not saying that we should not we should preach Jesus and not doctrine. But when we preach doctrine, brothers and sisters, Jesus needs to be the central theme of each and every one. James White, who was, again, one of the founders of our church, promoted this picture in the review. And over this course of time, James White was convicted that they were preaching the law, but they weren't preaching Christ with the law. So a few years later, let me get my facts. Four years later, James White went to a man by the name of Thomas Morgan. No relation to me, I promise. He went to Thomas Morgan, who was the best artist in the world, or people thought. And they went and they got a lithograph made, or a steel stamp, really. And this is the picture that took the place of this one that many people had used. What do we find in the center? We find Christ. But the law of God, the law tree is removed, but over here on the right, no, the left, sorry, over here on the left, we found Mount Sinai, which is where what was given? The law of God. Jesus Christ became the center of our religion. And brothers and sisters, I believe that's the way that it should be today. When we preach Christ and we preach Jesus as the one ruler of our life, then the law will be proclaimed more and more. Today, I believe that we, as human beings, often find many things to fill our heart with. We crave things, don't we? We crave happiness. We crave peace. We crave enjoyment. And many people try to cram as much in that hole in our hearts that they can without realizing that Jesus is the only one that can fill that void that each and every one of us have. When we put the law in our hearts without Christ, then brothers and sisters, we feel discouraged. I don't know about you, but have you ever in your Christian walk before taken a look at the law taken a look at all of these things that God has told us and felt about that big, felt extremely small, felt like, how am, I be, how am I going to become the person that God wants me to be? How am I supposed to do all of these things that I'm supposed to do? How am I going to check all of these things off the list? I've been there before. And I'll tell you right now that that's the wrong attitude to take it with. Because with that mentality, we're putting the law in our hearts and not Christ. But when you put Jesus in your heart and you are willing to follow him wherever he goes, he's going to lead you on his own pace. He's going to lead you through all of the things that will keep you out of bondage. And I believe that Christ when we spend enough time with Him, when we surrender our all to Him, we can become perfect 
by following him. That's why Revelation tells us that we should follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Amen. If you want to have victory over the idols in your life, if we want to have victory over those cherished sins, if we want our prayers not to be prayed for and answered according to our idols, but according to God's plan, then brothers and sisters, we need Jesus. And Jesus is always willing to take control of our hearts. Amen. But Christ is never willing to take something out of our hearts that we aren't willing to let it go. When we choose something in the place of Christ, then he will not force that out of our lives. He respects the choice that we've made. You know, sometimes I wish that Christ would just force me to do the things that I should do, right? Have you ever thought that before? Man, here's the things that I need to get rid of, and I just, I, I, I can't surrender them. I just wish that Jesus would just bypass that part, just take it all out and make me who I should become. You ever thought that? I know that I have. But brothers and sisters, Christ wants us to go through that process with Him. Amen? And when we go through that process in overcoming sin and temptation and those cherished things that we have in our hearts, then I believe that we'll become a friend of God. These first two commandments are protecting the relationship that God wants to have with us. Just like Larry said at the start of this, the Ten Commandments aren't a list of do's and don'ts, but the Ten Commandments are ten promises. They're ten blessings. Amen? And if we have Christ in our hearts and we do not have any idols, if we do not bow down to any graven image of any likeness of what people depict God as, but if we looked at God the way that the Bible proclaims Him to be, and we fall in love with who He is, then we are going to lead a victorious life. Amen? And God wants us to live that victorious life. Praise the Lord that He is patient with us. Amen? This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.